Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am, see, what am I? I'm a competitive, uh, formerly competitive bodybuilder. I'm currently a nutrition and exercise uh, physiology professor, and I'm the creator of Anabolic Brownies. Ooh. I'll tell you guys about this. Jeez, this is a whole new, uh, new market. It's <laughs> a new one. I Maybe heard. I should. Maybe I should market it. Yeah, no kidding. Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm a editor. Used to be at Muscle Mega International. Used to compete in bodybuilding like Lonnie. And uh, compete in powerlifting once in a while, and uh, like to lift heavy things. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. Uh, I run Strength Guild. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, and recently converted to Starbucks Via. All right, there it so. is. Hey, brownies and Via. Let me let me first let me tell you yeah. about the brownies. The brownies. Phil got the Via idea, I think, when I visited out there with mm-hmm. that hyper caffeinated stuff. Um, and I showed some data about how it actually enhances neuromuscular function, especially in the upper body. Um, but I got the idea, conversely, from Phil. Um, I just came home with a hankering for brownies, and you know why, Phil. Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Phil's wife made like these, it, it's like Oreos. You throw the Oreos in a pan is what it looked like. I'm going to guess yeah. this. But And then there's a, a layer of brownie batter over top, and then there's a layer of cookie batter over that. I mean, these are like calorie right? <laughs> so I came home and I'm like, you know what? I've been playing around with um, these three, two, one cakes lately that my wife was telling me about. And, you know, you, I can literally make these that are 50% protein. It, it takes under a minute in the microwave. I, I'll tweet about this, but I, I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to my old brownies. A, a buddy of mine, Jim, up in Minnesota, he's like, Lonnie, you need to market these, you know, put some kind of cheesy name like Dr. Lowry's, you know, diabetes brownies, or I don't know, just call them something. But so I tweaked it in an anabolic direction. So I made cheap, just got some cheap box of brownie powder, you know, mix. Um, you know, eggs, a, a dab of water, the usual. Um, but then I threw in 40 grams of protein and um, several grams of leucine. Uh, with this. And I thought, you know, I can either leave it like that, make it a post-workout, or I can throw oat bran in, which will slow down the carbs and the sugar, you know, and make it a little more appropriate throughout the day. And they yeah. came out great. Awesome. So now I'm, I'm making microwave cakes, those 3-2-1 cakes, yeah. and anabolic brownies with the extra, you know, whey and casein and leucine. These things, I can't believe how forgiving, <laughs> right, these cake batters are. Because you can do all, you can abuse these recipes yeah. eight ways a Sunday, and it comes out fine. Awesome. So, uh, if, yeah, I gotta think of a way to like prepackage these and, uh, yeah. <laughs> send them out to our listeners as gifts. I don't know. Yeah. That's hilarious. Abuse. We these. can make them like the, we could make the three, two, one cake things like the cup of soup. You know, you just peel the top off, add water, stir it, put it in the microwave. Yep. Ready to go. Absolutely. <laughs> the Lord. Absolutely. At least with me, my whole life it's been like, I'm not one to get a sweet tooth often sometimes. Um, but sometimes you get the munchies or a sweet tooth, and you're like, I wish I could have something with protein in it. You know, you don't want to just eat a bunch of refined sugar. And this is sort of, uh, this is your excuse, especially if you're looking for calories. Yeah. You know, because it's calories and protein. They're literally anabolic brownies. 
anyway, I, I, sh- I should be careful with that. That must, sounds like there's Diana ball chips in them. <laughs> 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 That's not yeah. what I mean. That's not what I mean. Um, okay, I, Rob, I know you have some reader mail. Before we get to that, just real quick, uh, number one. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Holy crap, it's our 200th episode. Ah, number 200? 200. 200. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think officially uh, at 208 we'll be at four years quantitatively. But, you know, we've been doing this over four years uh, yeah. time-wise. Yeah, 200, 200. 200 goes great with a, a big, like the most extensive thread in Facebook history yesterday. I was catching hell again for saying that any anybody that considers himself a grown man should weigh 200 pounds. Oh boy! <laughs> so, hey, that's right. Let's let so let's check in with listeners. Did you make yeah. your goal right? Um, it was either two hundred pounds yep. or plus twenty at wherever you were. Did you, know, you earn your it. man card? <laughs> earn your man card. <laughs> but of course, of course, we have to do do bear in mind that we do have some listeners that might be uh, not particularly tall. So, well, that's I or it's or plus twenty of where you are. So if you weigh one hundred fifty pounds. You know, go 170. Although we said we're going to mention it now in honor of the 200 episode, but I think we're giving people till like the end of June. Yeah. Because um, you know you don't want to put it on overnight. It'll, it'll just yeah. be a spare tire. Three weeks from 165 to 200 isn't a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like Lonnie might do that with these brownies. Yeah, uh, that's a good thing though. Lonnie yeah. came in looking pretty jacked. What were you weighing here, Lonnie? I was just under yeah. 220. Yeah. I, I nudged over 220 in the gym. Yeah. And, you know, I know you guys will laugh, but I couldn't stand it. You know, yeah. I just felt so bloated. Again, with, like, hold your breath to tie your shoes. Oh, it's yeah. too much weight for me. So I had lost about five pounds by the time I came out to see you, Phil. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was good, good times. Yeah, so. it was. That was an intense environment, uh, just, to, you know, with the training and everything. Yeah. I think everybody had a good time. So yeah. we got another one coming up now. I just started promoting. And, uh, oh, it'll probably be a little crazy. This time it's it's... Jason Pegg and Paul Carter are coming down for a weekend of fun. Oh, boy. So, yeah, it's going to be debauchery at its finest. Now, those guys know each other, yes? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll, it'll, be, a, it'll be a good one, I'm sure. I've said this before. Jason reminds me, just talking to him on the podcast, he reminds me of a, uh, one of my buddies, a kid I grew up with all the way through high school and partway through college. He just reminds me of him so much. I mean, the guy's not a powerlifter, but it's that same kind of... <laughs> personality. Yeah. You know, he's just a personality. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. So I'm uh, glad to uh, report that um, my previous of the last few months uh, responsibilities towards my new career, um, those specific ones are now over, and Fortress is back. Good. Right. Congratulations. I'm going to uh, be expanding rapidly. There That's you go. a good deal. What are you weighing now? Um... About two seventy, about two seventy three. Nice, not Be too right bad. Um, but no, I'm just I'm so unbelievably excited about being oh, able sure. to uh, devote myself physically once again to my uh, first and only physical love, which is yeah. lifting heavy shit. So you know, what do they say? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, yeah I was just saying to Phil before the show started that I. Um, I haven't actually really deadlifted for a couple of months because of just the, the susceptibility kind of puts you in a little back when you're doing a lot of kind of crazy ground fighting stuff and all sorts of aerobic nonsense and flipping tires and out in snow banks and stuff. But, uh, aerobic nonsense. Um, <laughs> but I'll tell you, man, it was, uh, 
it was heavenly. You know, it sounds completely stupid, but I'm, I'm sure most people who listen to it probably doesn't, but for the average person, but it was honestly like going to church, man. It was like if you're a very spiritual person, it was, I mean, I just was like, yeah. Nice. Real nice. It, it felt great, so I'm just uh, looking forward to guy. Actually, guy comes over to me on my second warm-up set, and one of the trainers at the gym, he says, uh, well, that's a lot of weight. I said, uh, come back and talk to me in two months, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yep. So, Indeed. Anyway, now, we got possibly, and, and, and this is certainly not putting down any, any letters we've ever gotten because they're all awesome, but possibly the nicest email that we've ever gotten here at, uh, at uh, Iron Radio from uh, John in Michigan. Um, and I actually want to read it. So, uh, in full, it's not that long, just because, again, it's just so well-worded and, um, well, I'm probably, I'm probably being biased about it because it's so complimentary towards us, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, go for it. Let's hear it. But it, it certainly makes me feel good and I forward this on to you, you both and, uh, you know, here it is. Hello, I just wanted to say I am a long-time listener and a proud supporter of your program. I want to truly thank you for the information and motivation you provide each week. Your ability to relay the quote, iron message in a way that all who listen feel like they are old friends with you guys is outstanding. I've read many forums, magazines, watched videos, and trained in all kinds of gyms, and I have to say that you guys have really outshone everything else out there. I don't feel like I'm just following the advice of gurus or athletes, quote, unquote. I'm listening to and following what my friends are saying and the fact that you have instilled that feeling as the trust I have for the things you guys are saying. Thank you again for everything you do week in and week out. I truly appreciate and am proud to be a part of the Iron Brotherhood. That's from John in Michigan. Nice. So, John, thank you very much. And, I mean, yeah. you know, like I said, all letters are, are beyond appreciated, but uh, that just kind of tickled my happy bone this morning when I, I – actually, that, that sounded probably bad. Tickled my fu- happy bone. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think our listeners know what I'm talking about. Under- I, really, I really need to print up some shirts or hats we can put out there. Yeah. You, fairly you, low cost. You can put uh, Fortress, full colon, and then quotes – Tickle my funny bone. Happy bone. Oh, yeah, that's right. Happy, happy bone. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else do I have here? I have some other stuff. Oh, this was one that was sent in to, uh, to you, Lonnie, and I, I know you saw it, and I think you responded to it, but I thought it just might be interesting just quickly to kind of, because we, we were kind of touching on this the, uh, a week or two ago. Um, simple question um, that no doubt has a complex answer. I'm sure our own Dr. Lonnie can make it not so. What is the caloric cost of building a pound of muscle? I've Googled the internet and can't find a satisfactory, satisfactory answer. Um, and most of the gurus refer to the energy contained in a pound of muscle. Um, anyway, so Lonnie, is there something quickly you can just say about that? And I know we have touched kind of upon that, so, but, you know, just. Yeah, I did send him a link and everything. We're full featured service here at Iron Radio. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, that letter was from The Hammer. The Hammer. Okay. We have a listener named The Hammer. That guy sounds nice. pretty good. So that's like cool. a credential in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I will say this. Um, I have in the past multiplied up literally from ATP and the cost to make a peptide bond. I've multiplied this up and confirmed these numbers. And I can't show you. I don't have that scribble sheet in front of me. It was got a year ago or more. But I'll point you to the Mel Williams um, sports nutrition book. It's nutrition for... Um, what is it? Health, fitness, and sport, I think is the title. You could find it on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com, Mel Williams. Um, 
And actually, one of my friends, Dawn, who's a caffeine researcher who we had on the show, she is now co-authoring that book. But long before I knew Dawn, I always used that book in my sports nutrition classes. It's a fantastic book, and it has a little um, miniature review on the energy cost of building pound of muscle. And he gives a range of calories, and right in the middle is 2,800. So this is why when I hear a website or other places go on some, you know, guru article, you know, pack on four pounds of muscle this week. Well, that's going to be expensive for you, you know, because you have to get in a 2,800 calorie surplus of energy. Again, a a regular sized college guy needs 3,000 calories a day. So if you add on an extra 400 a day over the course of a week, that would be 2,800, right? So 400 extra calories a day, that gets you your 2,800 deficit. So in theory, that would be enough energy to knit together the pound of muscle. We're not talking about the amino acid building blocks, just the energy. So Mel Williams, uh, Nutrition for um, uh, Health, Fitness, and Sport, Amazon.com. Go check it out. They might even let you peek in the book how they do sometimes now for a freebie. Um, but it's about 2,800 calories, and I'm sure if you double-check those numbers, I wish I could give you a primary reference. Um, I'm not even sure that Dr. Williams does in his book, uh, but at least it's a secondary source of information from that book uh, that you can use. And like I said, I, most people are not going to question it. It's a university textbook. It's not an industry book. It's not a guru book. Yeah. Uh, so You know, we got uh, another letter from uh, Frank. Um and I apologize to Frank because I, I he sent this to me about a week or two ago. So, Frank, I apologize for getting to this late. Um, it, it's a it's a question. I'll read it out because I think um, pertain to the topic that we're kind of going to touch upon today. I think it kind of lends itself to that a little bit. So, the question is, and Frank's a pretty big guy, he's six foot two thirty five apparently. Uh, loves the show, blah blah blah. He's been lifting for 15 years. He's 36. Um, first 10, he thought he wanted to be a bodybuilder, uh, wanted to be cut all the time and afraid of being fat. Anyway, he says that's dumb. <laughs> Very irony of us. I've been into powerlifting and strongman a lot for the last five years. Uh, that recently discovered the fact that six-pack has to go if he wants to be big and strong. Um, he has one problem. He wants us to maybe try and, if we can, help him a bit. I've been seeing serious increase in my benching. It went from his 1RM of 225 to 385. So, yeah, that's a a big jump. Um, But he says his pecs don't look bigger. He says he's gotten more fat around that area. But I see no more, I see no major increase in muscle size. I know you guys feel that they are not needed. But would heavy flies um, post-benching be good? Any thoughts or advice would be appreciated. Well, this is right on what I was thinking about our topic would be today. Exactly, and that's why yeah. I brought it up. And maybe even if you don't want to get into it specifically right now, maybe we can meld some of what maybe we can help Frank with into the topic when we start talking about that. Yeah, um, don't let us forget. No, for sure. So yeah, uh, so we, uh, we and yeah, we'll we'll touch upon that Frank a little bit and uh, what can we think about heavy flies and all that kind of stuff and whether we think maybe in your situation that might be beneficial because I think I think you're you're. Forgive me if I if I'm saying, but I think you're missing kind of the the, the the idea you're saying about the heavy flies. I think you're what you're upset about is not obviously your size, you know, your increases in strength, but your that that correspondingly your pecs don't kind of ref, aren't reflecting that. So, um, you know, so it's kind of a two pronged thing there. We can talk a little bit about that's, but we'll, that's we'll, right. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and I mean, let's face it, we've said this a thousand times on the show, but it's okay for powerlifters to want to have some beef. You know, to have a beefy physique. I mean, yeah, uh, at some level, in the advanced realm, when your nervous system becomes so important, of course, 
you uncouple hypertrophy from strength a little bit. Yeah. So you do mm-hmm. get stronger without necessarily just, especially focusing on one thing like the pec. I mean, the pec is only part of the package in a bench press, even a powerlifting yeah. bench yeah. press. Yeah. And that's why I always say, too, because uh, you know people can look like a guy who's 50 pounds less, but he has more. And I always... I think listeners now know about now what I mean when I say muscle volume, you know, that kind of roundness um, of the actual specific muscle bellies. Um, you know, I mean, you get guys who don't necessarily have that kind of, you know, uh, bulbous kind of muscle bellies, guys who are like, you know, some of the, the more advanced strength athletes, you know, but they're just really, really big and heavy. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to, Lonnie, the whole idea that, um, you know, a lot of very specific and certainly on the higher levels of, you know, pure strength training. You do develop size. It's just not the kind of bulbous volume isolation, isolated muscle size that you would see on some of the uh, more kind of bodybuilding-centric lifters, trainers. Um, you know, because I certainly know even a couple of friends that I have here in Edmonton since I moved out here, you know, they have, you know, kind of those kind of bodybuilding quote-unquote biceps and those kinds of things but you know they can't and no slam on them because it's not their focus but you know comparatively they can't deadlift and squat and bench shit so um you know but i mean i weigh them by 70 pounds but i don't have those kind of aesthetic bicep bulges you know what i mean so um it's the way your body certainly responds to um you know the specific types of training actually someone was it justin somebody when i was out at the strength guild camp they made a comment about um we are talking about the thickness through the, the pectoral versus like the front delt region it, with bench pressing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think he was saying something along the lines, Lonnie, your, your pecs are kind of separated from your deltoids. I'm like, I want that, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, but you know, like if you look at Phil, he's real thick. It, it's almost like his deltoid blurs into his pec, you yeah. know? And it's, you know, physical differences, but it's, it's also a yeah. function of the way you train. Yeah. You, you know yeah. what I mean? So when you're not doing pec isolation movements like the fly, you know, it's possible, again, based on your genetic predispositions, that, mm-hmm. you know, some people are going to be real thick all the way through. And that's a powerful look. It's just not a separated, sculpted bodybuilder look. Yeah. yeah. You know. So. Yeah. I had a bit of news, too. I wanted to give a shoot a couple things out there. First off, I, I want um, I got a personal email from probably my largest ever... Uh, um, a, a guy that kind of led me on the path I'm going on the most. I, mentor, I guess, is the best word for it. Uh, Calvin Neff. Um, Calvin just went into the Powerlifting Hall of Fame this year with Fred Hatfield um, and a couple other lifters. And um, I met Cal when I was living in Thailand, and uh, he really kind of is the one that solidified me getting into strength sports. Um, I'd been on the fence, and uh, you know, I was I was lucky enough to train with him for for seven about seven months straight. Um, you know, he got his start lifting with. Uh, he started when Louis Simmons started, and Fred Hatfield and all those guys were his kind of lifting partners in the Northeast. And, uh, you know, he, he ranked elite in, I think, five weight classes and, and, and whatnot. Um, this is back in the days when, you know, uh, there wasn't a squat suit <laughs> yeah. type of thing. Anyways, Cal Romy, I just want everybody to give their thoughts out to Cal. Um, he's going through some tough times with some heart issues and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it looks it's, it's looking like days are numbered. But um, it's some hereditary stuff going on, and oh. I know Cal, and you know he's kind of told me personally, but I know he'll go out the right way. You know he's going to go out on the platform or with his wife or on his Harley, you know. So <laughs> he refuses to go out in the hospital room, you know. So um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but just 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 uh, I know you guys don't know him, but he's uh, just a very special person to me. And it was kind of a touching email he sent, and uh, it sounds like one of his athletes too is going to move here to Topeka, Kansas, from Thailand, and, and join my gym. Well, how about that? Yeah. So. Um, the other thing I want to shoot out is 
We are now, as of this weekend, four weeks out from the first USSF meet, the federation that uh, I started up with, Paul Carter. And uh, we got some big lifters signed up. It looks like we got we got a 242er coming that should break the 1,800-pound barrier raw. Mm-hmm. Um Bunch of others that are coming in with 700 plus deadlifts. You know, Lonnie saw some of my ladies firsthand that we should have several of them squatting in the 350 range. Um, I was going to say, God, watching. So, I mean, this is not sexist at all. <clears throat> this is impressed. Watching women squat in the mid threes. That's not very common. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've got yeah. a yeah. We've got a large group of very impressive ladies from you know our lighter weight class. You know, 123ers that are putting up damn good pounds to. You know, some of the some of the larger gals putting up, you know, threes and health. Uh, I think you know, if things keep up, we're going to be seeing some fours real quick. So, um, yeah, it'd be a good time. So, if anybody's interested in that, it's on the USSF lifting page or drop me a line. So, it looks like with all the stack of entries I got in front of me, we're going to be packed pretty quick. But um, it'd be a fun one to come out to, and you can win uh, win two hundred and fifty bucks. So. Oh yeah, that's <clears throat> yeah. money. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. My last one is uh, some news out there. The, the Jim Wendler, uh, which everybody knows, launched his new site uh, yesterday that I helped build. Um, so I just want to give a shout out there. Go to his forum, check it out. It's a subscription forum, so um, a lot of great lifters on there. This and that. So uh, Phil, uh, now uh-huh. didn't you mention during the building process that there's going to be both free and pay parts of the new site, uh, right? He, he has his regular blog up that's free. Okay. And you, you'll be able to get articles and stuff there. But he's kind of come to the point where, I don't know, I think me and you talked about this a lot. Right, yep. It's the only industry out there where people think they're entitled to ask stuff and get an answer for free. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, yeah, we put this out there for free, and it's a passion of ours. But, I mean, I, it's also how I make a living. And, you know, Jim just got to that point. I don't think. It's not a, an asshole thing. It's hey man, I've I've been doing this for years. It's and he's tired of answering 700 questions, and two of those people take the advice. So it's like if you really want to ask me if my time's worth it, you'll give me a few bucks, and I'll give you my time. Especially <laughs> tailored. When you want information tailored to yeah. you, people. You, I mean, imagine asking a lawyer to do that for free. They'd tell you to you know piss yeah. off. Exactly. I mean, it's ridiculous. So. Yeah. When you write them, you know, you send them your program and say, what should I do? Different. Well, come on, that's my living. Right. You know, especially because they they want something uh, concise, and it's like you know, for nutrition, we're gonna have to sit down for an hour and do exactly. a full, you know, workup here. This is there's too much that goes into this. Personal history, injuries, family history, likes and dislikes. You know, social, economic. There's so many things. You, and people just say, hey, uh, tell me how to eat and lift to get huge. Yeah. You know. Okay. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a refreshing thing. I hope he does well with it. And it's going to be, I mean, most of the sites out there you see are free um, with articles and stuff. Of course, there's a back end to that. You know, they're, they're selling you supplements or they're selling you this and that. And, you know, there's none of that. It's like, you know, you're, you're paying for direct advice and great articles and this and that. And, you know, you, you, you throw in a little chunk of money, you know, to get that and to get personal attention. So um, I, I know there's a bunch of great people on board and I, I, I wish them the best. So. It sounds like a concept that's really not that different from Iron Radio in that it's sort of uh, viewer or listener supported in a way, yeah. as yeah. opposed to you know getting in bed too deeply with different companies and that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, and I you know I have a side of my own that's much the same way, and mine's mine's just it's five dollars a month. But I'll tell you what, even that little charge, it keeps the the BS that you find in other forums out. You know, there's no trolls. <laughs> it's just lifters lifting and asking questions from each other. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's it works out great personally. But. 
So those All are right. the three things I had. So. Uh, before we go to break quickly, I want to say a couple things. Iron Radio News and just a little bit of science news. In Iron Radio News, I just got a statement. Um, I got this nifty little app for my phone called Mint. Uh, mint.com. It'll, you can put all your accounts in there and keep track of all your money. Anyway, I don't want to be on a tangent here, except to say it, it was really flying below the radar to me. They, my business account, they are siphoning $12 a month in bank fees out of that. And so it made me think about that when I say, uh, you know, in the ads at the halftime of the show or at the end, I'll say something about, you know, Iron Radio, if you're a supporter, it's $4 a month for something you actually believe in. Yeah. Um, and that's less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees. And here it is, $12. That's just, I'm insulted, you know, that those people will take that money just for, for what? You know, to keep my numbers on their account server, yeah. you know? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, it's not like there's a large amount of effort to uh, make that happen. So twelve dollars getting just drained, and Iron Radio is at least something that you can feel like you're you're part of that brotherhood, like we were talking about with Frank. I think it was, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So, um, okay. As far as science news, just real quick, both of these are mental health related, and I, again, I'll try to be brief. This first one is from Public Health Nutrition, March 2013. So spanking new, and I get a lot of this through the International Society of Sports Nutrition and. Uh, Joey and Dr. Antonio, who I'm friends with. Um, but anyway, green tea and coffee consumption is inversely associated with depressive symptoms. Uh, this is in a Japanese working population. And it says in a cross-sectional study, they looked at green tea and coffee intake. They estimated caffeine um, intake from those 537 men and women, um, basically all adult ages. Uh, it says... Compared with participants consuming less than one cup per day, those who consumed four or more cups of green tea per day had 51% significantly lower prevalence of having depressive symptoms. And they even adjusted it for all other kinds of confounders that might, you know, affect this scenario. And it says uh, similar with coffee, uh, they compared those with more than two cups a day versus less than a cup a day. And um, even after they adjusted and everything, there was very significant, I don't like that, term uh, but there was a you know greatly reduced odds ratio of um getting depression depressive symptoms so cool stuff another reason to have your via coffee i sound like an ad because i'm not really uh those jerks wouldn't even fund my research but anyway <laughs> uh the next one was also a mental health one and actually we're, i'm going to try to get a, a psychologist on one of our listeners uh kindly said he would be on with us, and we're going to talk maybe about psych-ups or some of the psychological effects. Um, but this one is entitled, um, this first one is from an industry website. It's called A Big Step Forward, Probiotics May Alter Brain Activity in Healthy People. Um, the study is the first to show chronic intake of, uh, this is a fermented milk product with probiotics in it, can alter brain activity in humans. So just a little bit of background, probiotics, uh, in the past, basically consuming live bacteria, good bacteria, uh, they don't necessarily repopulate the bacteria that's in your gut, in your intestinal tract, but they kind of cross-talk with the bacteria you have. And apparently, there's even cross-talk uh, through chemical messaging and whatnot that might reach your brain. Um, animal models suggest this is true. This says this is the first study to demonstrate an effect of fermented milk product uh, with probiotics. Uh, on gut-brain communication in humans. 
So I, I don't know. Again, I think this kind of stuff is fairly interesting. I went and actually pulled the original reference, and what they did was they looked at functional magnetic resonance imaging. So functional MRI gives you an idea of where brain activity is. I, I'm, I'm almost certain based on blood flow. Um, and then they analyzed it very carefully. It says four weeks uh, of intake of this fermented milk product with the probiotics. Uh, this is in women, in healthy women, uh, affected brain regions that control processing of emotion and sensation their response to emotional uh, and pain um, sensations were altered, apparently for the better. So my wife, of course, is she's interested in her counseling with chronic pain and things like that. And this talks about, you know, altered uh, yet another nutrient, right? We got creatine and fish oils and vitamin D versus depression. Now we're looking at some of these probiotics and how there might be so much crosstalk with the bacteria in your gut that it actually, you know, reaches other parts of your body, including your brain and your responses to pain and emotional um, stimuli. So that was Tillish and colleagues, March 2013. So just just a little bit of mental health nutrition connection there, I guess. Okay, uh, let's go ahead. Let's go to break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about how bodybuilders and powerlifters use some of the same movements uh, differently. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lonman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So... Uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Hello, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lowry. I just want to offer an update on the Protein and Resistance exercise book that you hear about in ads at the end of the show. The publisher and I realize that the textbooks have become expensive. This one's $99. So individual electronic chapters have been made available for $20. US As with Iron Radio, my primary drive here is to get valid, reliable information into the hands of fellow lifters. So if you simply Google CRC Press Protein, you'll find the page where the book is sold. By clicking on ebook purchase at the right, you'll be taken to a page with free introductory parts of the book, as well as each chapter in electronic PDF format. There's also links uh, to other sources in this version. So whether you're interested in an academic heavy hitter like Dr. Peter Lemon sharing protein's history and strength training, or you're a biochem nerd like me and you want to just look at chapter 2 on protein synthesis and breakdown, or if you want to cut to the chase and get to a chapter on using protein weight control or case studies, you can now do so for just 20 bucks. So please check out CRC Press Protein and see which chapter topic may interest you. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? 
In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. And we're back. It's Lonnie and Rob and Phil, and we're going to talk about how bodybuilders and powerlifters uh, approach movements differently. And beyond just the idea that bodybuilders are about the muscle and powerlifters are about the movement, we've touched on that before in the past, but technique-wise, some of the things that are specifically different. So, um, Phil, you were talking about some of this stuff with the bench press uh, yeah. last week. So maybe let's start with that. So. Maybe give give me some general technique differences that a powerlifter is going to do in a bench press versus a bodybuilder. Yeah, I mean, generally, you know, a bodybuilder is going to, they really look at a bench press as a pec move. Yeah. Um, so you're going to see elbows way out, almost at, at a 45-degree angle to the body type of thing, perpendicular to the torso, um, and really looking at closing that gap, just just total total flexion and, and of, of the Pectoral muscles. Yeah. And Whereas, I think range of motion becomes, you're trying to maximize range of motion as a body. Yeah, you're trying to right? maximize range of motion. And, and, you know, a lot of times you're using time under tension and stuff like that. Whereas in powerlifting, we're looking to be as efficient as possible. Um, so we're looking to, to recruit not just our pecs, but everything we can. You know, we're, we're looking for maximum recruitment of triceps, pecs, delts, and all that. So it leads to more of a, you know, tucking elbows some. Um, to get to get the shoulders a little more involved and the triceps more involved, um, not a straight up and down bar path. It's more of an arcing bar path, um, stuff like that, and even you know arching, arching a bit to, to shorten up that stroke, um, and also put you in kind of a uh, a stronger position. Most people are are stronger in a decline bench than they are a flat bench, and by arching some, you put yourself almost into a into a uh, a decline position by sitting up on your traps, getting your scapula sucked in. Um, you know, depressed and, and retracted. So yeah, but yeah, I would like I would like to add, of course, that a lot of people on some of the bodybuilding building sites um, cry foul with powerlifters doing those types of things as being somehow um, cheating. And I, I would argue that even if, <clears throat> even from a standpoint of bodybuilding, certainly for for uh, joint and shoulder health and so forth, those are great things. I think what people are talking about when they say those types of things are the extreme archers and the ones who really yeah. cool, where, they, where they train themselves to have actually basketballs under their lower backs, you know, yeah. kind of like yeah. crazy contortionist type no, stuff. But, uh, but certainly pinning your shoulders back, you know, and having your back in a nice um, flat or arched, slightly arched position and so forth is, is probably advantageous to, you know, longevity as far oh, as... Oh, yeah. Your and I'd, I, yeah, I, I would argue the same. I, I would say a powerlifting bench is much... It's, it's safer. Yeah. Um, you know, you're seeding that scapula and things like that, and you're not putting overdue strain on the, the shoulders and the, and the pecs by right. by the position the bodybuilders put themselves in. Yeah. I um, would argue that a lot of bodybuilders probably don't give as much thought to their lats in a bench press no. know, mm-hmm. as the yeah. powerlifters do, which I think yeah. is huge with the powerlifting bench press. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it always is. been said that, you know, certainly the biggest benches in the world are never men with small backs. And, yeah. And I've heard many times big benchers say, you know, like, you have to kind of almost train your body to lower the weight using the back. Uh, yes. Kind of a thing, which which makes a lot of sense. And when you kind of 
Um, I remember I was doing a reverse bench not too long ago, and a guy said to me, "Oh, what does that train?" And I said, "I said, well, I like the way I, I kind of feel it differently in, in my triceps and my back." And he looked at me all strange, like, "Well, it's a bench press. What does your back have to do with it?" And I kind of okay. was like, "Well, you might want to look more into that." <laughs> so. Yeah, and it's—I mean, honestly, the three power lifts, I'd say the bench press is the most finicky and hardest to teach because of that. You're really activating a lot smaller muscle groups. Um, and training yourself to, it's not natural to train yourself to really activate your back on a pressing move. But once you do, I mean, if you ever leave a bench press session with sore lats, you know you've done it right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like you were, you were, last week you were talking about, as you, similar to what Rob was just saying, as you're lowering it, you're crunching up all that in yes. the back, almost like a pressurized spring yeah. as you're lowering it, lowering it down. But to your point, I think it was Mike that mentioned, um, as we were all practicing together, Got it. There's so many things to remember. Yes. You know, uh, I, I'm trying to crunch my, I'm trying to lower it with my back and flare my lats on the way I do this and this and my grip width and my pec activation yeah. and you know, my, I don't want to raise my chin inappropriately. Yeah. Uh, and there is. You're right. I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of things to think about there. And yeah, it's, you know, it's very technical and it's it's small technical and that's why you know I mentioned it last last week too. It's like, it's 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 rare for people to come in to a seminar and get a PR. Because they're thinking so much, it's hard. It, it's the practice after that is where the PRs come. Because um, you're thinking about seven, eight different things at once, you're just not going to be strong. Right. And you know uh, what? Including the lower body, like leg drive, you know, we were talking yeah, about last time. Exactly. That's something that Phil was really showing me. I mean, I, I get the idea. I always have. But I've never had a chance to really discuss how much of this leg drive up the bench you know, is important because I, you know, from a powerlifter perspective, unless you're purposely just trying to eliminate lower body drive, you know, it's sort of blasphemous to hop on there with the flaring elbows and the feet up, you know, yeah. like I would do because, you know, I can comfortably use mid twos. I know that I'm, that's not going to impress anybody, but I'm, I'm out to isolate my pecs when yeah. I'm doing that, yeah. you know, and uh, I don't really care about. And that's a useful, lot of this other though. Stuff I mean, necessarily. that's useful as well, though. But I mean, I, I use that stuff for weak point training, you know, like we talked about. Well, you will use the floor press, you know, for something like that. And then I don't have to worry about anybody falling off the bench. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, you lay on the ground, put your legs straight, you can't use your leg drive, and you can't use the core. You kind of take it out of it, and it's totally upper body. Um, and I might even have somebody, if they're, you know, if they had extremely strong triceps and, you know, weak weak pecs, we might use a bodybuilding-style bench press or dumb, dumbbells in that fashion to bring that area up. Um, so, yeah, there are there is some carryover between the two sports. Of course. Um, hey, you know, let's – go ahead, Rob. No, I was just going to say this might be a good point to inject kind of the, the question that Frank had. Yeah. Oh, that's what happened. I was going to say, right? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. Just that this the whole because he's saying again that his you know one rep max on the bench has increased substantially. I mean, yeah. substantially, like 160 pounds or something. Um, but he hasn't noticed any corresponding um, relative to uh, pec development with that. Um, he was wondering about doing after bench press, doing things like flies and so forth. And I think this is the perfect opportunity to address that because you, you guys are kind of talking about this anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, from a standpoint of um, you know d- developing a huge bench press, I don't really necessarily think again that a fly is really that necessary. Yeah. Except, I'm sure Phil will agree with me. There are t- different types of bench pressers. There's tricep yeah. pressers and shoulder pressers and, and mm-hmm. chest pressers. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. would probably be a perfect example of a chest presser. 
Because yeah. uh, he's oftentimes said that, you know, like 90% of his chest development, which, which was extraordinary, um, was the result of just normal bench pressing. Yeah. Um, then you get the guys, of course, who have huge, you know, um, huge bench presses and, and relative to not a lot of pec development. Um, yeah. And so certainly, you know, it, it, it is very beneficial to kind of know what kind of presser you are if you do choose to use the bench press in your in your um, you know, program. And, of course, if you're some sort of powerlifting or, some, or something that's mandatory. But um, certainly even as a bodybuilder or somebody who's, um, you know, uh, interested in physique development, that type of thing, it's, it's very beneficial to, to know what kind of presser you yeah. are. Um, and if you happen to be a shoulder or a tricep presser, um yeah, things like fly, and, and you want to, and yeah. you're primarily worried about strength on the bench press, but you're also, as Lonnie said when we began the show, you do like, you know, to, to kind of have a corresponding development to, to, to show for it, then yeah, things like flies can be very mm-hmm. beneficial, and that's what Phil's kind of alluding to. I mean, however you can kind of stimulate those pectorals um, outside of just your normal kind of full body bench pressing power kind of strength thing, um, go for it. And if that involves like, you know, cable flies or dumbbell yeah. flies or, um, you know, like Phil was saying, taking the bench press or components of a normal bench press stroke and isolating just those parts, like, you know, maybe just the top part out of a out of a rack or something and, you, you know, flaring your elbows a little bit more or even kind of doing the Vince Geronda thing. And I kind of caution people about this, but, of course, his whole neck pressing thing. I mean, anybody who's ever done a neck press like a Vince Geronda, um, th- those can be hugely destroying to your shoulders. But, yeah. but used in... In you know limited amount, and again keeping it bearing in mind that you know the, the poundage shouldn't be excessive. If you do variations or modifications of those types of things, then that might be something that you know on occasion you can do to kind of stimulate the pectorals to kind of maybe you know quote unquote catch up to where your strength is. At That's a good point, Rob, because I yeah. think one of the things that powerlifters would probably be doing with their accessory work is almost exactly what bodybuilders mm-hmm. you know but like all oh, my pecs i don't want them to stay small even though my shoulders might be hogging the movement or my triceps or whatever kind of presser you are it having bigger meatier pecs are going to help you engage them better i would mm-hmm. argue it's the same thing with yeah. lat work you know watch beginners with lat work they're doing all biceps work and as they yeah. build lat meat they can feel yeah. them yeah you know so i think there's something to that too no, I agree. And I, but I mean, I might argue the reason he's not seeing any pec advancement is because he comes from a bodybuilding background where he did really concentrate, probably, probably concentrated on the pecs a lot, uh, for the bench press. And now he's, uh, he's sure he's seeing a lot of advancement because now probably his shoulders and triceps are learning how to work a lot more in it. Yeah, in constant. And the strong point, yeah, and the, his, his strong point is the pec, so they're not getting worked to the point that his shoulders and triceps now are in this new form. Um, so they've, they've, started to catch up type of thing. Now, yeah, what he needs to figure out is just just like Rob said, like me, I'm a chest presser. My, I'm just, I just naturally have a big chest and, you know, my arms are long, so my weak point is always going to be my triceps. And so that's all my, you know, I'd just be wasting time doing, doing flies and more chest work. All, all my time spent just lockout, 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 you know. So. Which is interesting because I'm a, I'm largely a shoulder tricep pusher, yeah. so I'm the opposite of you, Phil. Yeah. So, but I, and again, there's a, nothing's better or worse than the other. It's just determining kind of what you think you are, yep. and then um, you know refocusing um, aspects of your training to you know accommodate those maybe aesthetic ideals that you would like more to mm-hmm. push towards, or from a bodybuilding standpoint, going the other way because 
you know, we've talked so often about it, and it's so very true. And we, we do like to focus on the psychology of lifting and so forth. And I've often said that my switch from bodybuilding-centric training to more powerlifting-centric training involved looking at, you know, I don't go in the gym anymore and train body parts. Because you always hear the young guys, I'm going to do triceps and chest today and all that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, the, that shift in mentality towards, you know, and I tell people now, I don't train body parts anymore. I train movements. Um, you know, and then it's my accessory work that kind of, you know, focuses on the. And I'll tell you, Rob, I I was never able to make that transition very well. Just if, after decades of focusing on you know body part specific training sprints, except for the squat, because I like, I, I don't have a lot of problem with it. It feels a, like a comfortable movement for me. But you know, yeah, there's a lot of things where I I just can't look at it like the movement. I don't. Yeah. That, and that that takes us to our next one. So let's keep moving here. Okay. Deadlift. Um, okay. Let me start with this. I had a hell of a time fitting a deadlift into a body part split, as you might guess, right? Because is it a leg movement or a back movement? The, the age-old question, right? Here. Right. And uh, so I tended to avoid it, probably to my detriment, uh, until just recent years where I sort of came up with the alternative of low rack pulls. And for okay. me, it's more back-specific. And talking to you guys really actually made me feel better when you were talking about how brutal the from the floor deadlift is as far as recovery Absolutely. and i didn't yeah. feel like i had to undergo that much recovery mm-hmm. with the low rack pulse my, yeah, my yeah. i would feel and the remember- tension and get sore across my upper traps you know because my mid back was always thick but yeah. upper back not so much and the low rack pulse really brought that up I think. you know and we i remember about a year ago we actually specifically talked about this in philip who i think we've got one of the best deadlifters on the planet here with that on the show but you know and phil was talking about the whole concept of it and, and i have discovered this a hundred times fold, that yes, those three four inches off the floor make <laughs> such a profound difference yeah. in 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 the amount of just central nervous system destruction you mm-hmm. Um And I've you know in, in the last couple of years, I've actually said to a lot of young guys, um, it might sound bl- blasphemous, but certainly from if you are more focused towards physique and bodybuilding and that type of thing, um, certainly deadlifts are. Still, in my opinion, something that yeah. no bodybuilder should go without. But yes, eliminating that first several inches off the floor by pulling out of a rack um, can be hugely beneficial towards what Lonnie's saying about, you know, um, productively fitting a deadlift type motion into your into routine, your train. but not completely destroying. Um, you know, your desire to be in the gym four or five times a week on some sort of yeah. traditional bodybuilding. Well, split. how do you do your leg day if you just did, you know, deadlifting, of course, on your back day? You know, your and your legs get sore, and then then what? You're like, you got to squat, and you're going to be like 10, 15% weaker because your yeah. legs are trashed, not to mention your nervous system. From and this deadlifts. is why I always say that when you are a power lifter, um, and, I, and I'm trying to think how I, used to, how I said it about a year ago, but I said it uh, several times to people. I'm always, I'm always deadlifting sore and I'm always squatting tired yeah um, and Phil I'm sure you totally yeah. get what I'm saying you just have to make it work when you're more of a pure strength athlete you, you do you have to make it work in some manner but and certainly you also, like Bonnie is saying when you are coming from that other side of things um, you shouldn't necessarily have to make it work to the extent that a, a pure strength athlete has to make it work so um, again there's ways of massaging and maneuvering and you know and, and modifying all these things to, to best tailor where you are at any given moment you know and uh, yeah certainly pulling out of a and like I say just to, just to make it clear I would never suggest that a bodybuilder don't deadlift in some fashion and certainly from the floor if you are a bodybuilder and, and you do choose to pull out of a rack I would still suggest pulling from the floor at least once every month or two um, you know but 
Yeah, I mean, certainly. Phil, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, I mean, even as a, as a on the pure strength side, too, it's also, you know, he was talking about he's always deadlifting sore and uh, squatting tired. It's also, like today, you know, I'm getting ready to peak out for, i got to test five weeks from now. And so I'm just pulling 90% of my plan pull, and it's realizing that, so it was like 650. That's what I did today for a couple singles. And, you know, it was like, wow, those feel pretty good. I know, it, you know, my 725 I want to pull real quick is it'd be a struggle today, but... I'm also freaking beat up, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. as a strength athlete, you got to know, okay, you know, once I give myself time to recover for a week and come in fresh, whoo, I'm going to kill this stuff. Right. Well, that's exactly what yeah. drew me toward the low rack pull. I saw some old pictures of Frank Zane that I mentioned on yeah. the show before, and his back looked really thick, actually. I mean, I know he wasn't a huge dude from a, you know, like a heavyweight kind of standpoint, but the point being was, he, I don't know, I think he had like 495 on the bar, 405, 495, not a crazy amount of weight, but there's a certain requisite for weight, you know, yeah. to engage some of your, those big back muscles. I mean, your traps are basically the majority of your upper back, your lats are the majority of your mid to low back, yeah. and low rack pulls let you apply even more weight, like for me, yeah. than pulling it off the ground, or a similar amount, you know what I mean? And you know, you can meet that prescription for load uh, without the the devastation uh, when yes. you're trying to fit it into a bodybuilding routine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I mean, you want proof positive that uh, deadlifting can give you a thick back? Go look at a, an Olympic weightlifter of any weight class. You know, every lift they do begins with a deadlift. You know, if you're cleaning, it starts with a deadlift. Snatch, it starts with a deadlift. You know, and they got some of the best mid back development of anybody on the oh, planet. Oh, yeah, you, and you look at some of these guys who are small, small. Yeah, and they got quadriceps on their back. Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> and these guys who are you're like, oh, you see in a shirt, and the guy is like 135 pounds. Yeah. He's a world-class weightlifter, and then he takes off his shirt, and you're like, okay, he's like like Lonnie saying about Frank saying, okay, this guy is not a heavy guy. Yeah. He's not a big statured guy, but that back is yeah. built. Like, it's yes. thick like a yeah. two-by-four. So, yeah. You know, you, you do have to, and, and I once heard it said that even more so than things like the bench press and the squat, to be a good deadlifter, you're really, I mean, you can manipulate the bench press and, yeah. and, and squat in different ways so you're not always doing bone crunching weight. Mm-hmm. But the deadlift, if you want to pull a lot and you want that movement to actually go towards what Lonnie's describing, that really thick, dense back, mm-hmm. You got to really pull some really, and I'll use the phrase again, bone crunching weight. You know, you you got to have your eyes red and look like you just you know you're just head head spun around like Exorcist when you're done. Uh, (laughs) You know, and but it's true, and you know, and I can say this from experience because I'll tell you in the last several years, as you guys both very well know, I have made massive changes in my deadlifting ability, and it's because Mm -hmm. I just finally grasped the concept that I'm just describing. You have yeah. got to accept the fact that when you deadlift, it's got to be like pulling the weight off the floor, like yeah. the world off the floor. You have yeah. got to get that rack. And whether you're pulling from the floor or from a rack, yeah. it's got to be brutal. You know, yeah. it's just got to be something that's just, you've got to throw, like Lonnie's saying, you got to, you really do fundamentally have to throw that whole idea of isolating things, even from the rack, and just grab onto the thing, try to crush the bar in your hands, and get the freaking thing up. Yeah, you know, and you will stimulate crazy amounts of overall body size. I, I mean, a lot of people just yeah. you, you freak out. A couple months, you do that for a few months, and you will be amazed at your grip strength yeah. and the thickness through your like it's it's really is profound. 
Um, you know what I should probably do? Maybe I'll post some pictures. I have some pictures from when I competed in my late 30s, and then I have some from just a year and a half ago after doing you know uh, low rack pulls. And the difference in my upper back is noticeable. I mean, I had I felt like in my weight class I had a real advantage last time I competed when when they said turn around. I thought, oh yeah, because I just had that confidence. You know, I think I had an, had an extra inch of depth <laughs> on my like mid traps and my upper yeah. traps, and that just feels powerful. You know, to have that kind of gorilla kind of thickness. Um, anyway, um, last one because we're running out of time. Uh, squat. Uh, so bodybuilder versus powerlifter in the squat. Rob, you've done both, obviously, um, and you actually squat a little bit more. I don't want to say in bodybuilder fashion, but you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. You're not one of these guys with a super wide stance, and you practically do a good morning kind of thing. So maybe tell yeah. it, your thoughts on the, the bodybuilding squat versus the deadlifter squat. Well, I certainly have no problem with power squats, and certainly that can be defined as something where maybe you're you know, maybe slightly wider wider than shoulder width but yeah i mean or lower I, bar on the back you know exactly and i think there's nothing wrong with those things at all it's just when people take it to such extremes that the motion becomes like three inches because of just it's not almost it's not almost like even a squat anymore it's kind of like a, a paul anderson back lift but um but yeah i mean i still squat mostly olympic style which is more bodybuilding type squat but um either way you know, you get, you get lots of things, and, and you know, to, to pad the magazines that come out every month, these muscle magazines, they always try and have these things about, you know, turn your foot this way and duck squats and all this kind of crazy shit. And the bottom line is, if you want to be a big squatter, you got to squat. Having said that, just like we're talking about the other things, there's nothing wrong if you're more, if you have a, a physique, you know, a goal or you're more physique centric to throw in leg presses and all these types of things. Yeah. I just would say that don't expect your leg presses to necessarily transfer correlatingly directly over to your squat. Now that might be the case if you're a beginner or something like that, but certainly a world class squatter is not necessarily going to develop a bigger squat because he goes and leg presses heavy weight. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that it hurts. Or that it can't be a compliment too, um, but you know, and and you know things like leg extensions. We, we kind of make fun leg extensions around here, you know, and sort of like, like triceps kickbacks, and not that not to that extent, but <laughs> I don't, you know. But I mean, certainly things like leg extensions. I'm not a big fan of them, but you know what? Um, I really do think if people really got it through their heads, this leg extension shouldn't be used as a power motion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if really people really could, goddamn, grasp that concept. You know, because I see guys all the time that are on leg extensions, and it's like, why are you putting so much energy into moving the stack on that thing when all you're essentially probably going to do is just ruin your knees and mm-hmm. really, I mean, yeah. for what you're putting out and the damage that you're doing, um, for the size gain and the thighs that you actually might experience, yeah. it is so not worth it. No. Um, but I mean, certainly I can see the benefit in leg extensions for like things like, yeah, sure, warming up the knees. If, if you know, but again, lightweight, 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 mm-hmm. because it just um, or just getting extra volume in at lightweight. Yeah, you know? and that type of thing. Yeah. But when I say lightweight on leg extension, people don't understand what I mean. I've I've I don't do them very often, but when I do do them, it, it always I can always notice that I'm, if I'm working in, I, of course, I'm usually working in with somebody on leg extensions when I do them because leg extensions tend to be one of those <laughs> machines that are always being used. Because nobody wants to actually go and squat. Um, but, you know, I'll get some guy who, you know, probably can't squat more than 225 for a couple of reps. And, you know, and he's literally on the leg extension using two or three times the weight that I'm using. 
Um, you know, and they're kind of looking at you funny, and it's just like, well, again, you know, it's, it's like, not a primary movement. You know what yeah, I mean? you it's, have to even though just the way you perform the movement. You know, it's it's got to be slow and squeezing. That's that's one exercise that you really can't modify to a powerlifting or strength centric ideal. You know, whether you're, a, no matter what kind of strength athlete you are, or, you know, weight training athlete you are, the leg extension has to be done in that way. It's a squeezing, feeling, low, you know, relative to yeah. your strength, very relative to your strength, low weight type of motion. Well, it's not just a single joint movement. It's it's a single joint movement with a fixed femur. I mean, all you can do is move your tibia back and forth in yeah. one plane of motion. There's not much you can do with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you got to be very careful with it. You know, and you hear people in the magazines, again, try, trying to pad the magazines because they, they come out every month and they got to put something in there. You know, oh, point your toes this way and point yeah. your toes that way to bring out this and that and everything. It's like hogwash. You yeah. know, get under there. Don't think about it. And if you're not thinking about it, and you're doing it, you're probably going to be doing it the way you should be doing it. Rob, you no, just gave me an idea for a whole episode about, you know, trying to tweak, like, <laughs> the inner outer head of the calf. Or like you're saying, focus on the, the VMO versus your vastus lateralis by moving your toes differently in the in leg extension. Or, you know what I mean, P- you know, peeking out those rear delts or mid delts or, you know, before people have enough mass to worry about this stuff. And you know how meaty you'd have to be before you start focusing on individual little nuances like that? Yeah. I don't know. It just sounds ridiculous. I'm sorry. And that's, you know, I'd still, uh, you know, the, the main difference I'd say is somebody that's that's purely aesthetic based compared to a power athlete would be I would I would urge them to go as deep as possible on every rep and adjust the load to that um, just to get you know you're going to get a lot of more hamstring and glute activation the lower you go and you know I would I would have them do I think a, a lot of people could gain a whole lot of useful size and mass if they did what I told some of the guys at the camp to do. You know, they were wondering what they should do for a squat. And just set your side four to six weeks. Set yourself aside four to six weeks. And one day a week, you have 60 minutes. And you're going to go in there. After your warm-up, you're going to squat for 60 minutes. And when that 60 minutes is up, the next day, tell me which muscle from your waist down you didn't hit. <laughs> There's not going to be one. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're going to hit your butt. And when your butt gets tired, your hamstrings going to work more. And when your hamstrings get tired, your hips are going to work more. Well, I and could, your, your quads and, you know. I could offer just, this. It's similar to what you were saying about the bench press, what we were all really saying, is it depends on what kind of a squatter you are. Like you were, yeah. like we were looking at everybody. I mean, if you're oh. a big quad dominant guy and you have mm-hmm. a weak tuchus, you know, yeah. your glutes are weak, then you, low bar squat, you know, yeah. engage that posterior chain or your, your hamstrings. I see a lot of bodybuilders with great quads and their hamstrings are weak. And we've talked about this before. What made Tom Platt so amazing it wasn't just his quads. His adductors and his hamstrings were ridiculous. There was so much mass yeah. for his quads to sit upon, yes. you know. And so I think it's like that, too. Like, um, well, even when we were playing with my squat, and Phil's like, you know, raise the bar up just a little bit. And Phil, I'll tell you that just that little bit I was fooling around with, you know, yeah. uh, just for technique-wise, I could feel my quads. My quads were a little sore the next day, oh, and my sure. quads are not usually what get yeah. sore when I do my low bar ass squats. Yeah, you know, power squats. Yeah. So. Yeah. Something to think about. No, there. and you look at Tom Platts, and he squatted. You know, there's that video of him squatting 500 for 23. He squatted every one of those well below parallel. 
yeah. know. Yeah. And if you if you're squatting 500 for 23, you're gonna have a big ass and hamstrings if you're yeah. doing it in the fashion he was. As long as you're not doing quarter squats. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. um, so. so I think it, to summarize that, it depends on your bodybuilding physique needs. Yeah, and you your know, leverage. If you, if you have weak, weak glutes and, and no hamstrings, and if you're a bodybuilder yeah. out there, you know who you are. Yeah. Um, in fact, if you want tons of leg mass, you, you got to focus on your adductors and your hamstrings some, and that mm-hmm. means a little bit more lower bar, bar squats, a little bit more on the power side, because I would argue that you can't say that close – Stance, high bar squats are for bodybuilders, and the low no. bar squats, wide stance are for powerlifters. That's not true at all. Lots of bodybuilders are or should be doing lower yes. bar, wider stance, engage that posterior chin, yep. and beef up what needs to be beefed up. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. Big muscles. Big, big muscles. Yep. Okay. All right, guys. I think we're just about out of time. That was good. Absolutely. Okay, well. Lesson, everybody. Yeah, and thanks. Keep those letters coming, and uh, we'll try and address... Uh, Address, address them as much as we can, and uh, yeah. Cheers. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and Protein, you can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes, everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types practical applications and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state of the art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, this will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single-digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however. Obviously, I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.